Welcome to the 100th episode of Personal Injury Mastermind, the show where elite personal injury attorneys and leading edge marketers give you exclusive access to growth strategies for your firm. Over the course of our first 100 episodes, the leaders who have shaped our industry have come on week after week and given their wisdom on how to get clients, grow your firm, and become a better lawyer. So in this milestone, we wanna take a look back at some of the awesome people we've had on the show and listen to all those incredible guests. To be effective, you have to sort of, they say, go big or go home. There are a number of different factors when you're trying to evaluate the quality of a link. How do you touch these people over and over and over again in an affordable way? Getting started is just the most important thing. Today, in this mega episode, it's all about how to get clients. With help from some of our all-time favorites, we're gonna look at how to excel across all your marketing channels. We're huge proponents of omni-channel marketing over here. We'll cover TV, radio, social media, and digital marketing before heading into our bread and butter, the wide world of SEO, with some of the biggest names in the business. These all-stars will share their hard-won wisdom to elevate your marketing strategy and get you the clients that will take your practice to the next level. If your page is on private, it's literally like having a business with a door that's locked and closed up front. We're all different people. I advertise to what I believe in my strengths. Don't get on TikTok if you know that your audience isn't in their 20s. The less you spend, the cheaper it is. I'm your host, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io. We help elite personal injury attorneys dominate first page rankings with search engine optimization. Before we dig into the nitty gritty, I just wanna highlight something from the legendary Mike Papantonio, who said this on this very show. It's tough to tell a lawyer to think about something different. They wanna grab that same, you know, whatever's been handed down to them. They just wanna embrace that. They're afraid to say, no, I reject that, or I might accept it, but I wanna modify it and make it better. It's so difficult to get lawyers to do that. You may not know this, but Clarence Darrow, probably one of the greatest lawyers of his time, he hated lawyers. He was one of the most impressive lawyers of his time. He said they're not creative thinkers. They're afraid to innovate. They don't read enough. They don't excel in areas beyond the law. And his point was, we have to do all of that to be sustainable not just sustainable in your practice, but sustainable as an individual that has any kind of cultural impact. If you want to become successful and you want to help more people and make the world a better place, you have to be willing to get outside your comfort zone. So I urge you to bring Pap's spirit of innovation to this episode. Not all these ideas will be right for your firm, but some will be. They'll just take a little courage. To kick us off, let's talk about television. Personal injury attorneys have been using TV ads to attract business for decades, and we've had several masters of the art on the show talk about why it's so effective and how best to pull it off. First up, we have James Farron. His firm has helped over 50,000 clients, and a key part of reaching those clients has been his wildly successful TV ad campaigns. I think when I decided I was going to be a personal injury attorney, it seemed to me that the big time was going to be people who were on TV. That seemed to be uh, how you got a lot of cases, how you got some notoriety. So I think I was always interested in going in that direction. Uh, so when I, I had early in my career, a big uh, result, big settlement, I decided to plow that money into a TV campaign. And I thought that 
the Market Masters campaign, which is the one that we used, was the most uh, innovative. I liked it because I thought it looked professional, really well polished. And frankly, I didn't have to be on the ads myself. And I think that would have been, I'm not that great of an actor. I wouldn't want to be bothered in restaurants by people, you know, see, you know, seeing my having seen my face on TV. So it, it's allowed me to live a life of an anonymity and, and yet take advantage of the benefits of their really professional, polished campaigns. And so we started that that back over 20 years ago, and it's uh, it, you know, the commercials kind of were an immediate hit, took off, built us some some notoriety, and then of course that led to the necessity of really getting good at running our law firm as a business, because suddenly we're dealing with questions of scale, lots of cases and, and, and having to have good technology. So by going on TV, I, I don't know that I played it all out in my head at the time, but that led to lots of cases and thus led to the need to become really effective at running operations in a strong business-like manner. I've always wondered, you know, what are some of the foundational recommendations when it comes to TV in terms of, you know, minimum, minimum budget to even consider it, just some of the basics. And I have always heard you got to advertise during the news and sports because that's where people watch live TV. You know, what are just some, some general advice to those looking to maybe do TV in today's time period? The amount that you need to spend depends on the size of the market, obviously. We like being in the top three to five positions in the market because if you're pretty far down the list, you just don't get enough visibility and your your message is drowned out. And so I I think that to be effective, you have to sort of say, go big or go home and be a strong player there. I'm a big believer. I think TV is a direct response vehicle. For at least for us, we're we're looking for people who have been hurt. Most people they've never thought about who their lawyer is going to be. If you know if they happen to get involved in a serious wreck and need a lawyer, a lot of people have not thought who who that person's going to be in advance. Right. So what we want to do is catch people in the moment when they're in need, uh, and we do that by running lots of daytime TV commercials. Now there's you know other schools of thought which is go to to more of a branding approach and run commercials at different times of day, evening news. I have found that less cost effective for direct response. I'm a big believer in just running on the air broadcast commercials during the day in heavy frequency. That's a formula that's expensive, but it does work. And I think it leads, if you can afford to do it, it can lead to a good number of cases on an effective, cost-effective basis. It was so great to hear James talk candidly about the financial realities involved with TV advertising, and he isn't the only one to subscribe to the go big or go home policy. In my chat with Glenn Lerner, he also stressed the importance of looking at your market before deciding if competing in the TV space is financially viable. Obviously, you have to look at the market to see the cost per TV household, how much is being spent by attorneys per TV household to see how competitive it is. You know, obviously the most competitive markets in the country, you know, Vegas is one of the most competitive markets in the country in every medium, especially TV, but billboards. I mean, you go to Vegas and it's nauseating how many billboards, ours included, you know, (laughs) but um, Atlanta obviously is incredibly competitive. Baton Rouge, Birmingham, you know, there's some incredibly competitive markets that are just so skewed. They don't even make sense. You know, if you're not going to spend enough to be the top, you know, the top four or five players in the market, 
I just think it's it's almost better to find another way to advertise. Find a place, find a niche where you can have a strong presence. You know, it just depends on the market. It depends on what your message is going to be. Who are you? You know, I, I don't think people can come and say, I'm going to do the same advertising as Glenn. You're not me. And I, I'm not going to do the same advertising as John. I'm not John. You know, we're all different people. I advertise to what I believe in my strengths, you know, my ability to just to be approachable and, hey, that guy seems like a cool guy, a regular guy. That's what my commercials are. I'm just a regular guy who became a lawyer. That's not going to work for everybody because people are going to see through. And you, if you're a jerk, they're going to see you're a jerk trying to just be a regular guy. And if you're a regular guy trying to be a jerk, they're going to see through that, you know? I've always looked at it like it's the jury out there and it's I'm giving my message my competitors are giving their message. And who does the jury pick? Who does the jury listen to? And I, you know, I think we've been, you know, we've been relatively successful in our markets that, you know, where we've been the dominant player in all of our markets that the jury has picked us. There have been a couple of markets we've gone into where they said, you know what? Guilty. <laughs> One of the things you mentioned, we had James Farron on from, from North Carolina. He's like, you know, Chris, he's like a lot of people talk about, TV is just brand, but he's like, I really use it as direct response. And I think a lot of times people say like, it's either or, but kind of from what I'm hearing from you is you, you think, Hey, TV, it is brand, but it is direct response during day time. Yay and nay. Um, yeah. Ultimately TV is absolutely brand building. I think certain types of TV marketing are direct response. For example, your mass towards advertising uh, become direct response because they absolutely, Oh my God. I Oh, I need that right now. But when you're advertising your normal commercials all the time, a lot of times you're just trying to, for us, obviously we have our jingles and we get the branded numbers, you know? And so, you know, in Chicago, two, 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 22, 22, call two, 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 22, 22. So it stays on their head. Some people, you know, I'll meet them and they'll be, your number was the first number my, my child ever knew. You know, I hear that about a thousand times a year, but that's, that's creating a brand. Will that be, is that, you know, direct response? <sighs> I think there's, there's a point, I think there's a nexus where direct response and a brand intersect. But I still, ultimately, I think we're about building brands. I don't think anything's ever going to trump the brand. Um, you, you know, the reason why I like the brand, you know, so many people go online now to find their lawyers. And so if they go on and they find you on the first page, they'll go down the first page. A lot of times they say they stop at the top three, they go through the first page and they'll go, oh, that's right, learn, learn, learn. Man, I can't believe I forgot to. So, I mean, that's what you're trying to do. Both Glenn and James see TV ads as a crucial element of brand building. If you're already known and trusted by a potential client prior to their accident, they're more likely to remember you when they find themselves in need of an attorney. For Gary Sarner, it's the same method, different medium. With radio, he sees an opportunity to meet clients where they need you most. Where do car accidents happen? They're on the road. They're on the road in their car. There's a few cars out there that have video capabilities, but every single automobile out there has audio. And audio today, you know, people don't use the term radio as much because people consume audio the way they want to, whether it's on an FM or AM radio station, it's on an iHeart listening app, an Odyssey listening app. And obviously there's Sirius XM and there's Spotify and podcasts, but they're all through the audio system in the car. So listen, nobody wants anybody to get in an accident and get hurt really bad. 
but they happen every day. How do you touch these people over and over and over again in an affordable way to get an ROI that makes a difference to the business's bottom line? It's with radio. That is for me and what I have found in the eight and a half years that I've worked with personal injury attorneys, radio makes a difference, a bigger difference than television has ever made for the people I work with. TV and radio are still fantastic. While myself, I see a little bit of the market share shifting on the TV side because of streaming and, and the ability to skip commercials, it's still very viable for daily news, daytime television, and just overall, a significant portion of the population still watch TV, uh, particularly on cable. So it's still fantastic. And then radio. The reason radio is so powerful is because wrecks occur in a vehicle. And that's where you listen to the radio. I know things have changed there too with Pandora and Spotify, but a significant portion of on the radio still listen to sports and, uh, and those other stations. So these are fantastic mediums. And there's a saying that all marketing works, but it's just how much are you paying for those impressions? And arbitrage occurs where attention shifts. So if more people go to other mediums, those other mediums may become more expensive and TV and radio may become less costly. So you just gotta look and see if the overall numbers make sense, the number of impressions you're getting and how it can impact your overall strategy from a flywheel perspective, because as your brand builds and you get greater visibility from all these mediums, they can actually supplement other channels as well. And we all know, no matter how focused we are on attribution, that it's nearly impossible to get it down to an exact science. So. Just be aware of that and be aware of how these two mediums can have a significant impact on your brand. While TV and radio have been long-term staples for many firms, digital marketing is a much newer game and it's also one that is continuously evolving. There are so many different platforms for where your content can live and each one necessitates a different approach. On a recent episode, Web Design and Copy Extraordinaire, Mike Budney explained why having a presence online is so crucial. People Google your name all day long, whether you know it or not. What shows up is if you're leaving it up to chance, who knows? Who knows? There might be reviews about you. There might be this and that. You're not controlling the narrative that actually represents you and expresses you properly is what, is what the truth of it is. So if that's important to you, which in many cases it probably should be, having at least some level of presence there that can properly represent you, then point back to your firm is a, is a big win. I see so many beautiful websites, but when I read the copy or kind of look at them, I'm like, how are they different than this guy? Maybe you can speak to me just a little bit about, you know, the copywriting, your, your team and, and kind of what that looks yeah. like. One just universal fact that I think we all know, but we don't think about consciously is that people do not read website copy. <laughs> Super important to realize that like, okay, you're writing great copy, but are people reading it? The answer is not most of it, but what people are doing and the way we all consume websites for the most part is we scan. There's just too much going on in all of our lives and we're summarizing, summing things up very quickly and we're pattern recognition machines through and through. So you couple all those things together and what you get is somebody who's just going to, your site's gonna load and they're gonna be scanning down your site and they're picking out a couple of things. One is, is this speaking to me? The second question they're going to ask is, what's in it for me? 
if they get past that, yeah, it is speaking to me. Now, for you guys as attorneys and, and firms, it's not hard to get, get through, I'm speaking to you, this is what we do. But what really resonates is, like I said, that makes us different is the story work that really humanizes and builds that bridge. And what the messaging that we want to do here is we speak to people in headlines. If you're going to scan on a website, you're not going to read any of the body copy or the paragraph copy unless you get brought into it and you, engage, and you get kind of roped into it. And the way we want to do that is through a, a really strong, bold, four-word, five-word headline that your, your eyes are going to scan, you're going to read it. And then ideally, because again, we're doing all custom work, the section that you're getting roped into is custom designed for the copy. That's the sequence of events. You never have design happen until copy is on point and going in that direction. Otherwise, you got to scrap the whole thing. They have to work in conjunction. Mike's dual approach of having content that resonates but also looks great is something that can be applied to more than just your website. Ali Awad described similar ideas during his top tips for dominating Instagram. First, if your page is on private, it's literally like having a business with a door that's locked and closed up front. Don't put your page on private. It needs to be public. And once it's public, make it a business page. Once it's a business page, now you can take analytics. Okay? That's number one. And should be self-explanatory, but I had to mention it. The biggest problem, immediate number two, is obviously if, you're, if your door is open, then we should be able to go into your store and see what you have to offer. You don't walk into a Macy's and see that there's a hundred sale signs right at the entrance. You find that they strategically put something that's going to grab your attention and lure you deeper into the store. They usually put their best product up front. Hey, here's the new mattress. Here's the most comfy couch, that $14,000 cloud couch. You go to Restoration Hardware. They're going to put that couch right there in the front. And they're not going to clutter it with advertisements. They're going to give you the best of the best right there in the front. So your opportunity to make a good impression on people is your storefront. And I know this because I worked in retail in Joker's Audio, in my car audio shop, for over a decade. And I strategically put all the radios and the TVs and the fun stuff in the back of the store so that I could lure you in. But in the front, I put all the fun stuff, like the hoverboards, right? And the brand new 18-inch Mac Daddy subwoofer that obviously no one could afford, but everyone wanted to touch. Your page, your Instagram page is your storefront. And if everything looks like an advertisement, then you're inviting people to leave. Because I don't want to come here just to buy. I, everyone likes to buy, but not everyone likes being sold. So you want to make that as smooth of a process as possible. And so you invite them to your page, you invite them to your content, starting with good highlights, things that show the type of person that you are, and fresh new content that is not advertising, that is entertaining first and educating second. That's how you do it. So if your page looks like advertisements, that's the biggest mistake you can make. No one cares about Independence Day, bro. No one wants to see the fireworks and all that other stuff. But hey, happy Independence Day. Hope you're spending it with the loved ones. No one cares about that. So why are you even wasting time? Like, I, yeah, I know you could post from time to time just to have filler content. But don't do that. That's not what people are coming to your page for. So number one, make sure you're set up as a business profile. Number two, make sure that you're actually giving people the best information that you have and it's fresh and relevant. Think of it like the storefront of your retail store. And number three, my video trick, my favorite video trick of all, when you're putting out videos, don't introduce yourself in the beginning. 
Don't say my name is Ali Awad with Ali Awad Law and we fight for maximum compensation because I've already scrolled seven other videos and I'm literally watching this cute kitten video by the time you even got through your intro. My secret is to put your conclusion in the beginning of the video because it's literally the best hook that you can get. And if you have a hard time with this, just record a normal video and then edit the intro, the introduction out and then just take the close of the video and put it in the beginning. And when you do that, you grab people's attention within the first three seconds, which is the holy grail of content. You grab people's attention within the first three seconds. They're going to stay on that page. Facebook is going to reward you by showing it to more people. Your engagement increases. Your awareness increases. Your CPL, your cost per lead, and your cost per client decreases. All because you figured out how to give people engaging content. You do those three things, which I promise you 99% of you are not doing. You will be a lifelong fan of social media. When it comes to organic social media marketing, there's always the dreaded question of algorithms and what to do, how much should you post, who engages, how, how much. Few of them are more intimidating than LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a behemoth, but who better to show us the ropes than Shay Robottom? I do think quantity is more important than quality on LinkedIn. I myself, I posted three times a week starting out. So the thing is, if, if I would have posted every day starting out, I would have gotten the same amount of views, but I would have been doing twice the work and twice the posts because LinkedIn will distribute the views between multiple posts. And I still, even today with over 600,000 followers, I don't, I usually won't post um, more than once a day. So I would say once a day, once you've built up a following, if you're just brand new starting out, even less than that is fine. And also, Chris, the most important thing on social media is consistency. So post what you can commit to. If you can only commit to one post a week starting out, and that's the only way you're not going to get overwhelmed and quit, then that's fine. Start with one a week and you can build from there. A lot of people want to hit the ground running. They want to start with like 10 posts a day. And it's like, they just end up burnt out really quick and also frustrated because they're like, I don't get it. I'm posting so much. Where are the views? Well, it takes time to build that personal algorithm on your page. So you want to do it strategically. You do want to do it slowly. Make one post, do everything that you can to accumulate as much engagement on that one post first, as much as you can let it die out, then go to the next post. And these are all things that I also break down in the program. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, if you're posting all the time and getting no reach, stop because you're basically communicating to the LinkedIn algorithm over and over again that you're not valuable and you're butchering the personal algorithm on your page. That makes a lot of sense. And you know, you listen to a Cardone book, maybe 10X or something I'm like, I need to post 10 times a day. And Maybe I need to repurpose and just keep posting. But I think the most important, or one of the very important things you said there is the engagement. You know, how important is the early engagement on your posts and what types of tips do you have there? Absolutely. It's super important, super important uh, to get engagement in the form of comments on LinkedIn. That's what really drives the algorithm. So just ask, you know, if you're doing your very first post on LinkedIn, have some people lined up to comment on it. That's okay. If it's not purely organic starting out, you want to jumpstart your algorithm. You want to um, get your video into the feed because every single person that comments is now exposing that piece of content to their following. And that's how you grow. That's what I did in the beginning when I hired my coach. I made my first post 
he shot it out to his network. You know, he had all his peeps go comment on it and it really helped jumpstart me in the algorithm. And, um, it kind of goes for like any business, really. Like if you're starting a business, what do you usually do? You usually have a few of your friends buy your product for free or discount, and then they write you a testimonial and then you build and build from there. So uh, there is uh, some controversy, I guess you could say on LinkedIn about the morality of this inorganic engagement starting out like, oh, well, you just cheated, Shay. You just had people manually go comment. It's like, that's every business. That's right. every, you know, if I'm going to do door-to-door vacuum sales. Who are the first couple of people I'm going to go to are going to be my mom, my grandma, my sister, and you know, right. all the people that I know personally, like that's normal. You know, we all need help jumpstarting our business, jumpstarting our brand. And LinkedIn is no exception. So I would say starting out, just have some people to comment right away. Have them comment within the first hour, whether it's your employees, your colleagues, your partners, um, whether it's your mom. <laughs> have your mom go comment on your LinkedIn and that will help propel your page forward and kind of jumpstart you in the algorithm, especially if you already have a dead profile where nobody is seeing your stuff. There are a ton of things that you can do to drive more social media organic traffic to your social profiles through engagement, post frequency, the types of content, the medium, the entertainment value, all those things can drive organic social media traffic. But if you want to take a little sidestep and you want to give them a little extra boost, you can always pay for social media traffic as well. So I spoke with Facebook advertising specialist Jacob Malherby about how to set a paid social budget with surprisingly little money. You can literally come in with as little as you want. And I'm talking, you can spend $50 a day if that's what you want. We have no contracts because I think that's bullshit. We have only one thing on our invoice that says any money not spent on Facebook fully refundable at any time for any reason. So what we try and do is say this, hey, all those people, and and attorneys ask me all the time, hey, what are people spending? Because I want to spend more than them. Well, that's not how it works. How it works is this. You have a circle, and inside, in the middle of that circle, is your core audience. And the less money you spend, the more money will be spent on your core audience. The more money you spend, the more will be spent on the peripheral of your core audience. So I can almost guarantee you that if somebody came with $100 and another guy came with $1,000, the guy that came with the $100 will get a cheaper lead than the guy that came with the $1,000. However, he will not get volume, of course, right? So that's another play. But even if you had little money to spend in Facebook, it's not a problem. Uh, it's about 25 bucks per thousand views in Facebook. And right now, just to give you an idea, because we're talking about Santec uh, cases, so cases come in at about 600 to $800 today, signed up. Um, so that is between 40 and $50 per lead for cancer, cancer cases. It's a misunderstanding, this thing, at least on Facebook, and I don't know Google as well, but on Facebook, the less you spend, the cheaper it is. If you're going to talk about paid social, we also got to talk about pay-per-click and we got to talk about Google ads. Similar to Jacob, Steve Ginsburg stresses that it's not as simple as more money equals more conversions. And he joined me to talk about the Google quality scores 
and how to get the most clients from a PPC campaign. So the amount that an attorney or any business pays per click on Google, it's dictated mainly by two things. Your bid, obviously what you're willing to pay per click, and then your, your quality score. So Google has what they call a quality score for every keyword that's, that you're managing in your, in your AdWords campaigns has a quality score. It's a number out of 10. Obviously, 10 out of 10 is, is the best and a, you know, zero out of 10 would be the worst. The higher your quality score is, the lower that you actually have to pay per click. What determines your quality score? There's several factors, but the main two would be your click-through rate, right? Google obviously wants to show ads in the top spots that they know are getting traffic and making Google money. And then the relevance of the ad and the landing page to that query. So Google made it official, I guess it's been maybe about a year, year and a half or so, because it used to be where you could run one or two, you know, two ads in, in an ad group and test it. And it didn't have an impact on your quality score. Google says now that if you don't have three ads minimum in an ad group, that it'll actually dock your quality score. I haven't actually seen it really dip because of that. And, and maybe it's because we we test, you, you know, three plus ads in a group, but so it's become part of the quality score algorithm. So if an attorney, you know, has an agency that's running their pay-per-click campaigns, definitely suggest that. Maybe an even more important point, when you say, you know, like the, the, an ad that they'll start to serve the ad more that gets more traffic, right? They don't care about the conversions. They want to show the ad that they're seeing right. get more traffic. But the default setting in Google ads is to steer the budget towards higher performing ads. So the right thing to do, because if you don't set the ad, you know, to, to rotate indefinitely at the beginning where they do a straight split test or an ABC test with all the ads, then Google will automatically, even if it's, even if it's, you know, a couple days in and it's a tiny sample size and they see that one ad got a few more clicks, they'll immediately start steering the budget there. So that's just, and a lot of people make that mistake. They come out of the gates. Google says, Hey, optimize your ads for the ones that get the most traffic and people you know, try and, and do it that way. But but um, you have to rotate them indefinitely to start to get a real sample size and to get statistical significance on what ads are really working better, not the ones that Google's just going to steer budget to right away. Your website and social media platforms can all be optimized to help grab a potential client's eye. But what about their ear? Harry Morton is an expert at making branded podcasts, and he told us all about why they're so effective and how to maximize their impact. What podcasting does best is we, we see levels of engagement that you just don't see in any other media. I think, you know, if we if we look at the the, the statistics behind and we do, we spend a lot of time nerding out on this stuff uh, behind the kind of consumption of a podcast, let's say a 30 minute podcast. You know, we're commonly seeing 80, 85, 90 percent completion rates, meaning the average listener is listening to you know 90 percent of that content uh, of a 30 minute episode that's a period of time that you're spending with your with your customer with your client with your prospect that you just can't get anywhere else so if you you know for example you compare that to social you'll be really hard pressed to get you know the average person to listen to more than 5 10 maybe percent of a, a video that you put out on social or uh, you know a post or whatever um, email open rates you know anything above 50% is is a really great rate uh, and so to be able to consistently week over week spend 30 minutes of your time with the people that you're trying to reach is, is really powerful. You know, for those listening, uh, you know, it, it might be really appealing because a podcast, typically you think of it as like a DIY, you know, there's a lot of that DIY sure. nature to it. You know, what advice, what advice do you have for businesses that might 
consider starting their own podcast? Yeah, I think the first and most important thing is really to think about why you're making a podcast. Because I think a lot of people come to us and they say, we've got this great idea for a show. We're you know, really excited. We're going to build a huge audience. and It's going to be great. And so what they quite often do is will come to me with a concept. And so they've, you know, they've got this idea. We're going to speak to X group of people about this topic. And this is how we're going to be, you know, this is why the show is going to be great. I think where we see the most success is when people actually think about instead, what, what is the business objective I have here? What am I trying to achieve? Who am I trying to reach? Like, so who's our target buyer or prospect or whatever that we, we want to be our audience? And what do they need right now that we can offer? Um, because rather than coming at it from, here's the show I've got this idea for, how do I find the listeners that I want to listen to it? We prefer to go the other way and say, here are the listeners here's what you have to offer. How can we build something that kind of meets their needs? So like what shows are they already listening to? You know, um, what other podcasts are already serving that vertical? Where are their gaps and, and how can we make something unique? Because, you know, we're in a world where there's 2 million podcasts in existence. So there's no shortage of choice. So we need to make sure that we're actually offering something genuinely unique and, and differentiated. So that would be what I would say. Uh, the other thing I would say is that while it's incredibly important to come out of the gate sounding good and, you know, because you want to represent yourself properly in this, in this medium, getting started is just the most important thing. So, you know, if you're a, a DIY podcaster or you're considering starting podcasting, start now because, you know, the old cliche, the best time to start a podcast was 10 years ago, but the second best time is today. So just get started because it will take a while to kind of seed that, that listenership. And so, you know, the effect over time will, will certainly compound. So far, we've covered a lot of different formats, platforms, channels, and I know what you're thinking. How do I make enough content to be across all of these? Well, don't panic because Shana Weisinger has the answer. Don't become overwhelmed with having to be on every single platform. Like know what platforms your audience is on. Like pick one that you want to do really, really well. And you know, they're there. Like if don't get on TikTok, if you know that your audience isn't in their twenties, like it's just not why, you know, start with something that, you know, they're there. And then you can use the other platforms to supplement and just to make sure that you are creating more brand awareness and you populate consistently. Like social media is insatiable. There's just no way to put enough out there. And the most efficient, cleanest way to do it is to create pillar content, larger pieces of content, be it, you know, text, audio, video, I'm sure we'll get into that later. And then take, create with intention, knowing that you're going to create micro pieces, the small snippets under two minutes out of it to then use on your social media strategy. And what's cool about that then is you're not just creating content to get likes, you're creating content that hopefully dives into something bigger, something longer into a journey for that viewer. So um, it's just much more intentional and it's a much more efficient, scalable way to create content for your company. And all of those social media assets, the intention is to take that person off of the platform onto like a landing page where now you've got them, you know, you can do retargeting pixels. You can have um, an opt-in with like your digital downloads. So you can now collect their information. The intent is to get them off of the platform. And if you can create content that will make them want to close a loop and see the rest of the content, then I think that's the savviest way to be creating. When it comes to social media marketing, in my opinion, the most important thing is consistency. You've gotta consistently show up and deliver. It's gonna take time to create that following. The other thing is, is you can't think just about yourself, creating your content about, you know, what are the steps that I need to take after a car accident? And you're creating this content that's that's all about acquiring 
personal injury clients, you've got to have some entertainment value. You've got to have a reason for individuals to like your content, to follow your content and to engage. And that's why I'm a huge proponent of not only doing the, the organic social media on a consistent basis, but also complementing that with a paid social campaign to boost your content, to get it in front of your potential audience's eyes. Because at the beginning, we all start from ground zero with not a very big following, but it starts to compound. And over time, you get more and more impressions. And that's the way to success is to create consistent content that's entertaining and complement that through paid social. Hey, we've talked a lot about channels, but where does everyone go these days when they, they want to convert? They go to Google. We're all sentients. We all have our phone within arm's length. So we got to talk about this final area of discussion. We got to talk about SEO. You know that's my bread and butter. You know that's what I'm passionate about. We've had the masters of SEO on this show, each with a mountain of amazing advice. But let's start with Brian Dean on why SEO is so important. SEO still brings in way more traffic than any other source by a mile because those other sources also aren't necessarily getting more organic reach either. If you look at YouTube, there's more ads. It's more competitive. It's harder to get your video seen. On Twitter, organic reach is down. It's more busy. It's more loud. It's harder to get your message seen. If you just kind of check off every other possible channel, it comes back to SEO and email. And those are the two channels that just work really well. And on the bright side of this whole, like Google adding more stuff, I don't know if you noticed this, Chris, but I've just seen that two years ago, they rolled out a bunch of stuff, like two or three years ago. Since then, it's been kind of quiet, like in terms of rolling out these features that reduce yeah. clicks in the search results. I feel like doing the good. last two years, they've been kind of quiet. I think maybe they found an equilibrium there where it's like, all right, you know, we definitely want people to stay in Google and not leave google which is understandable but we also want to give people what they want and generally i think people do want a quick answer sometimes with a feature snippet but sometimes they want to go to a site so i feel like the trend isn't like clicks are dropping like i feel like they're pretty consistent over the last maybe two years two and a half years so for me i'm not that worried about it i've tried every marketing channel under the sun and seo and email are by far number one and number two shifting over kind of to, to link building link building is it's difficult in the legal space. Nobody wants to link to a car accident lawyer sales page, a practice mm -hmm. area page. You know, so what would just in general, and this is big throwing the softball up there, Brian, you know, in general, what would be some recommendations in terms of link building, uh, uh, maybe attracting links for a difficult niche like the legal vertical? Yeah, I mean, I have, I have experience. I used to run an agency myself and I had tons of attorney clients and you're right, it's it's tough because no one wants to link to uh, a DUI lawyer website. The content that is usually around those topics are usually pretty uninteresting, like what to do if you get pulled over, drink, drinking and driving. Like they're just not content that people generally link to. So what I've seen a lot of people have success with is creating data around these topics and having that be the link magnet and from there, you boost your domain authority and your service pages will rank. Because like you said, Chris, those service pages, you it would be amazing if you could get people to link to them, but they're not. The same way with an e-commerce site. If you have a product page that sells a toaster, no one's going to link to that page ever. So just forget it and just instead build your domain authority, create pages that people will happily link to, they'll want to link to, and that'll boost all the pages on your site. So I think in the case of attorneys, 
it's in that whole space. I don't see this being done. And it's a huge untapped opportunity in the space because you got, they have tons of data. They have tons of smart people working in all these firms and they just, what they usually do is just hire some random freelance writer to write 10 things to know about hiring a DUI lawyer. It's not going to do anything. You got to create something that people will link to. And there's tons of interesting data around your actual niche, but also just in general. So if you're a patent attorney, how about writing? I, I would love to know this. How many patents are getting filed now versus 10 years ago and tracking over time? That's the type of thing people will link to happily. So yeah, I'd focus really on data. So instead of being a resource, be a source for other blogs, journalists. So they link to you when they reference, you know, the number of patents have increased by such and such, or the number of DOIs has decreased by, you know, 83% since the pandemic started, whatever. These, this data is sitting out there already. It's just a matter of collecting it and organizing it in an attractive way. Like Brian said, increasing the linkability of your content is absolute key. But if it's going to impact your ranking, there are a few other things to consider as well. And who better to lay it all out for us than link building specialist, David Farkas. I'd say that there are a number of different factors when you're trying to evaluate the quality of a link. So number one is, is that like the website that's linking to you. So that website, is that a credible website? Does that website have traffic? That's something which is pretty basic. You know, you want to make sure that the website has a pulse. And then I'd also look around that website. Does that website have any sort of editorial standards? And of course, you want high editorial standards. And then, of course, relevance is a major factor as well. So that's the first thing that I'd say is looking at the linking website that's linking to you. But I feel like these days, Google has gotten more advanced than that, and that's not enough. Um, and they're looking at other things as well. So besides for the website that's linking to you, what are they linking to on your website? Are they linking to a great piece of content? Or are they just linking to like your services page or your money page or, or things of that nature? Because I feel that Google has certainly come a long way and they're much more advanced and a lot better at recognizing what sort of content is actually link worthy and merits having someone link to it from their site. And that's why when you think about link building these days, you also really have to take into account like your on-site strategy and how you're going to provide for your users meaningful content. So when the site that's linking to you is linking to a quality piece of content, then those two things like complement each other. And then that link has a lot more effectiveness. And the third thing that I probably look at when I'm thinking about what makes a link good is also looking at it from the perspective of the user. So if they're on this site and they're linking on that link that links to your site, are they going to be pleased when they end up on the other end of that link and on the other side on your site? Are you actually, again, are you providing something valuable or are you just trying to have some sort of sales pitch and you were able to crank in a link and stuff one into this site? When it comes to SEO, here's the thing. You've got to do the things that other individuals, other firms aren't willing to do. If your content is a thousand words and all your top competitors' content's a thousand words, you need to make a 4,000 word landing page that answers your consumer's intent and is the absolute best source of information around that subject area. 
That's just content. Your website needs to look great. It needs to have a great UX. And let's talk about link building. Here's the thing about SEO agencies. All of you that are looking to hire an SEO agency, sure, many of them can create content. Many of them can optimize a website. The differentiating factor, the thing that sets them all apart is their ability to acquire links. Think about this analogy. If you're trying to win an election, you wanna get as many votes as possible. If you're trying to win the first page of Google, you wanna get as many quality links as possible. It's the hardest thing to do from an SEO perspective because it's not just creating content, it's sourcing the opportunities. It's going through an editorial review process. It's working with those webmasters to contribute content on their sites. It's making value for other individuals. It's relationship building. So here's a few things you can do. If they are just building directories and doing the guest posting, if you have a podcast and they don't, you can get links from podcast hosts. You can get links from people linking back to their interview. You can get links from those mediums, those podcast directories. Let's talk about a different moat. If all your competitors are just doing a bunch of content, written content, you can create video and get links from video directories. You can turn a PDF into a white paper and get links from PDF directories. You need to be willing to do the things that other SEO agencies and other firms aren't willing to do. And you need to find an SEO agency that, that knows and understands those tactics and has those competitive advantages. Whether your strategy includes TV, social, or SEO, you have to be observant, agile, and willing to learn. I think Neil Patel summarized it perfectly. If you're trying to succeed as a lawyer or anyone, what works now may not work in the future. And I don't know what the future is. You don't know what the future is. No one does. But typically, if you can end up going out there and making the best of the opportunity, what I mean by that is we have Clubhouse. I don't know what Clubhouse is going to do a year from now. I just know you can build mm -hmm. up an audience really fast on it. We don't know what LinkedIn is going to do a year from now. Pulse, all the stuff is amazing, but it could change in a year from now. And some of the stuff may not even exist a year from now. I look at it as just go and use all the channels for what they work. And as they adapt, experiment, adapt with them and be ready for the change. And that's actually the biggest thing that we're seeing people make a mistake on in which I hear all the time people saying, oh, Google's taking away more clicks from me. That's not fair. You don't have to be on Google. You don't have to have your content index. Be appreciative for the traffic they're driving you in the first place. If you don't want to, someone will take your spot. You know, oh, Facebook isn't giving me the shares anymore like they used to. Well, use it while they can. Go on TikTok. I see lawyers on TikTok generating businesses from it for things like personal injury, auto injury, stuff like that, right? Use these channels while they last. Use them while they're willing to give you the organic reach. And if they don't, don't complain about it. Be willing to adapt with them. And that's where I think people are making the mistake in which they're like, oh, I want to just get my rankings on Google. Or I want to use Facebook. And I expect them to give me all this love and help me make a ton of money forever. They're businesses too. I can say, hey, you know, you're a lawyer. You're here to help people. You pass your bar exam. Help people for free and help everyone because they can't afford it and they deserve your services. Look, you're going to do what's right for you whether someone agrees or disagrees with it. Google's gonna do what's right for them, whether you agree with it or disagree with it. And you gotta figure out how to make the best of the marketing world. And the marketing world is consistently changing. Google's doing over eight algorithm changes a day on average, maybe even nine plus a day on average. 
take whatever you can get, adapt and be okay with it. And that's the reality. I'd like to thank all my guests for sharing their stories and advice with us. And I also want to thank you, whether you've been here since episode one or 99, I really appreciate your support. And of course, here's to the next 100. You've been listening to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm Chris Dreyer. If you like this episode, leave us a review. We love to hear from our listeners. I'll catch you on next week's PIM with another incredible guest and all the strategies you need to take your personal injury practice to the next level.